Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, May 15, 2022, and we are in a series called Psalm 100, a psalm to live by, and this message is entitled, Enter. May God bless you. Well, you know, about five years ago, uh, Bonnie and I entered a checkpoint of armed guards. We got our backpacks checked. And after we showed our passports, we were released to walk up a flight of stairs to another area at at the top of those stairs with more guards and with about a dozen riot shields leaning up against the walls. It was a little bit intimidating. Finally, we emerged at the area at the top of the stairs to an area about the size of 25 football fields. It was a huge expanse. We were on top of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Anyone else ever have that privilege of being able to get up there? Yeah, a few of you. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's closed, depending on what's happening there. But it's it's an amazing sight, and it's ginormous, if that's a word, and it kind of takes your breath away when you get up there. For the most part, Jews are restricted from climbing the stairs and entering the Temple Mount. Uh, See, in 1967, Israel captured the Temple Mount, and Jerusalem's old city during an event called the Six-Day War. And they extended the Israeli sovereignty all throughout Jerusalem. Because they were eager to reduce some of the friction in the Muslim world, Israel allowed the Jordanian waif, that is sort of like the Islamic police, to have religious authority on top of the mount. And one of the first things they did was to restrict Jews from coming on top of the mountain. And now there is a mosque up top and there is some Islamic buildings on top as well. Jews are sometimes allowed to visit the Temple Mount under very restricted conditions. One of those conditions is that there is no worship or prayer allowed at all. It is forbidden. And Orthodox Jews are okay with that because they're afraid that if a Jew were to be on top of the mount the Temple Mount, then they may accidentally walk over the sacred ground where the temple's Holy of Holies stood, and that would would be devastating. So today, Jews' worship and uh, Jewish worship and prayer is generally, generally restricted to the base of the Western Wall. Some of you have maybe heard it as the Wailing Wall. That's not its name. It's called the Western Wall. However, recently, the Israelis have allowed quietly a small unofficial prayer group to go on top of the Temple Mount to pray. The Islamic Waif are are allowing this, they're aware of it, and they're monitoring it from a distance, but so far they haven't taken any action. A reporter describes the development as a revolution unfolding quietly and gradually under the radar. Wow. That's sort of what was happening in Babylon during Israel's captivity, a revolution unfolding quietly, gradually under the radar, until the Jews were allowed to go back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their worship, and to rebuild the temple. So when the Jews, the first Jews returned to Jerusalem, their first task was to rebuild the altar of the Lord, and then they began to rebuild by by building on top of the foundations of Solomon's temple to build a new temple, and this one became known as Zerubbabel's temple. 
Reasonably, because archaeologists have found those foundation stones, the new temple found, followed the blueprints, basically, of Solomon's temple. And, but it was bigger, but not nearly as grand or as extravagant. The prophet Haggai says this about it in Haggai 2, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So he's bemoaning the fact that it wasn't nearly the same temple as in Solomon's day. But when you read the book of Nehemiah, you see why it took 20 years to complete it and all the things that had to go on to make it happen. And when it was finally completed, most of those who were taken away into captivity into Babylon uh, were no longer alive. It had been that long. 70 years in captivity, 20 to rebuild the temple. And so you can imagine this psalm, Psalm 100, a royal enthronement psalm filling Israel's imagination for what is hopefully going to happen soon. Hopefully in their lifetime, they thought. Most of them were wrong. But when God would restore them back to their homeland. Psalm Psalm 100. Let's read it, shall we? Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. And we've been shouting to joy this morning. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Verse 4, we've been dealing with one, two, or 1 and 2 and 3 in the last couple weeks. Today we're looking at verse 4. And verse 4 really envisions their entrance and their ascent and entrance into what has become the Temple Mount. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Gates, then courts. That's the progression they remember from the former temple of Solomon. Even when you go to the Temple Mount today, even though most of those gates are actually now blocked up, you can't get into the temple courts unless you go through one of the many gates and first into the court of the Gentiles. And the gates are all preceded by a flight of stairs, quite a lot of stairs, most of them. And so it was, a, it was an intentional walk up those stairs to the gates to enter into the courts. And the gates are all preceded by not just stairs, but the gates were decorated to their name. And though the actual temple building is no longer on the mount, in order to enter the inner courts, you had to enter a gate called Beautiful. We'll talk about that in a bit. But again... Before you could enter, you'd had to ascend a flight of stairs. So this is going to be our first point for this morning. Number one, worship is always a progression of ascent. Worship is always a progression of ascent. It's a move from one space, one mindset, to a higher space and a higher mindset. The temple was always up physically in the life of Israel. It was the physical embodiment of the throne of God on earth in the city of God. It had always been that, even right from the beginning in Eden. 
The Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 is a lush garden habitat for Adam and Eve. But Ezekiel 28 is full of Edenic uh, imagery that refers multiple times to Eden as a mountain of God. Was it an actual mountain like we think mountain? I don't know, we think mountain is sort of like the ski hill that's over there. But if you go to BC, you'll see mountains. But Genesis 2 does tell us that a single river flowed out of Egypt, out of Eden, before it was divided to become separate rivers, four separate rivers, so that it must, so it must have had some sort of elevation to it. Abraham climbed Mount Moriah to offer his one and only son Isaac to the Lord. Little did he know, but that mountain would become an integral part of Israel's worship of Yahweh in years to come. Jacob ascended his staircase in a dream on that mountain. Thousands of years later, King David would purchase the same spot uh, of, of land from a Jebusite and then build an altar there to the Lord and offer burnt offerings there to the Lord. That is the spot that Solomon would later build his temple. And now Psalm 100, Zerubbabel's temple, is built on the foundations of that temple and it's that same geographical spot today. Of course, later Herod's temple in Jesus' day, it was built upon that same spot too. Let's just say that God seems to be, in the Old Testament, fond of mountains to dwell on. Mountains are where God enacted his rule upon the earth. Mountains are up. And so to approach God in an Old Testament mindset meant to go up. To worship God meant a progression upward. Psalm 15, verse 1 to 2, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Those whose walk is blameless. Psalm 24, verse 3, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. Psalm 48, 1 and 2, the entire city of Jerusalem where the temple of God was established is said to be a holy mountain. Mount Zion, beautiful in its loftiness. It became the joy of the whole earth. And the temple was up from that. And so to approach God, again, from an Old Testament perspective, was, uh, was always an upward mov movement. And you had to literally ascend steps to get into the temple in order to worship God in his sacred space. Now, of course, we're in a new era, right? Under a new covenant where we as God's people are now the new temple of God. So how do you ascend the mountain of the Lord today when you are the temple? How do you move up into God's space to worship him? Well, in John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman, and she's a little confused about this as well. Says, he says here, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, that is Mount Gerizim, which was the mountain that the Samaritans believed that Abraham sacrificed Isaac, nor in Jerusalem, that is Mount Zion. Believe, uh, that's where the Jews believe that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, Jesus said. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come because of him 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. What Jesus was speaking of was that the physical temple would be done away with, and from then on, as the Spirit of God fills new worshipers, they themselves would become this new temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So this new era of worship is not going to be marked by a physical progression upward into God's presence. There's no staircases. There are no real gates to move up through today. God's Spirit God's spirit-filled worshipers are always in the presence of God, and the presence of God is always in them. That's the new era we live in. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. However, though this is the new arrangement, With the manifest presence of God, worship still requires a progression of ascent. There is still the need among us worshipers to acknowledge that God is in a place of greater exaltation than our mere bodies can contain, right? Is he not? He is far greater than any of us. God is still other than us. He is still high and lift it up. Colossians 1, 15 to 19. I don't know how you can read this without picturing God high and lifted up. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, high and lifted up. That's our God. Worship is still a progression of ascent. Obviously not physically, like by a staircase into a temple, but rather somehow internally. Whether here on Sundays or in your living room like some of you are today online or whether you're in a park or whether it's part of your own personal devotions and quiet time, as you progress to worship the Lord, think about what you're doing or should do to worship the ultimate deity of life. You're moving up. You're moving out of the ordinary, away from the mundane, you're trying to put all that other stuff behind you. I guess it's kind of in a, in a head space or a heart space you're trying to get to in order to get yourself into the glorious, sacred space of the exalted triune God. So how does one truly worship the exaltedness of God? Unless you take time to progress to that space in your head and in your heart doesn't happen automatically. In that way, it is not wrong to use your imagination to make that progression upward. Not at all. Just read the inspirational Psalms, if you would. Or listen to Jesus. True worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What is important in your ascent into the sacred space of God is the intentionality of your approach to God in worship. We don't ascend the hill of the Lord carelessly or without respect of who it is that we are ascending to, do we? That's what Jesus meant about truth, worshiping the Lord in truth. Yahweh is the one true God, and he is worthy, worthy of a spirit-filled, imaginative, truthful, God-honoring ascension in order to worship him. So what does that look like? Well, that's our second point for this morning. We progress upward in worship with thanksgiving. We progress upward in worship with thanksgiving. Verse 4 reads, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So breaking it out, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. What is thanksgiving? Well, this close to lunch, maybe you're kind of thinking turkey and gravy. You need to quit that because I'm getting hungry as I think about it. Most times when we're thankful... We're thinking in terms of comparing our lot in life with the lot that others face in life, don't we? I'm thankful for the food that I have on the table compared to others who don't. I'm thankful that I get to live in peace and safety compared to others who live in war-torn countries. Thankfulness is often just a comparison of conditions, of being grateful that I'm not on the side facing the difficulties. But approaching God in thankfulness is not meant in the same way. Approaching God in thankfulness is not meant to be an acknowledgement that you are more fortunate than others, even if you do it humbly. It is meant as an expression of pure gratitude for the undeserved grace that you have been given by God, just to be able to worship Him. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement that the unapproachable, all-consuming God is allowing you access to his person, to his space. That's worshiping God with thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ, that's appreciation without comparison, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Thankfulness as a means to enter the gates of the Lord's presence is a gratitude or an appreciation for being able to participate in the covenant blessings of God. See, if we're not careful, here's what happens. Instead of worship being a progression of ascent into sacred space with God, with an otherwise inaccessible, matchless God of the universe... We run the danger of approaching him as an entitlement. Our approaching him becomes casual and careless 
when we do not consider who it is that we're approaching in worship. And that's why our approach needs to be a progression of ascent. It's going to take time to approach God. We can't do it carelessly or as if we're entitled to be there. It's not like a light switch that you can flip on and off. It takes time. See, our first priority each day has got to be worship. But most of us don't treat that as the first part of our day. It's not asks or petitions or learning something sentimental about God in the Daily Bread booklet. Our first priority each and every day has got to be worship. It's got to be getting into the presence of the Most High God with thanksgiving, progressing there. You can't just flip it on with a light switch, like a light switch. So, do you have time set aside each day to be intentional about entering His gates with thanksgiving? Not prayers or asks, just worship. I know this is not the habit of most Christians, Because I've tested it in prayer meetings before. I've tested it in prayer meetings. I've come into prayer meetings and I've said, okay, everybody, listen, before we put out all of our asks and our requests, let's spend some time just adoring God. Let's just spend some time in worship. Let's acknowledge who He is. Let's exalt some of His characteristics and who He is as a person. Let's, let's do that first before we get in. And when we feel like we've, we've spent some significant time in worship, then let's move into our asks. And this is how it goes. Dear God, thank you that we can come into this prayer meeting. You are great. And I want to thank you for my brother who is not living for the Lord right now. And we just pray that you would, like, that's how quick we make that progression, usually. That's not worship. I know it's important, and I hope that you're appreciating me on this, because this has been something in the evangelical church that has suffered a lot in decades. In the 1950s, A.W. Tozer, if you've read a Tozer book, you know how kind of uplifting and inspirational they can be. Tozer was an alliance boy, and he once wrote a book called Worship, the Missing Jewel of the Evangelical Church. Back in the 1950s, and his approach is still the same. That's why on Sundays we spend a lot of time at the beginning just getting our posture right with the first song, with spending time in prayer, of getting ourselves into the place and into the space where we are able to worship God intentionally and specifically. We don't want anyone here to think that that the presence of God is an entitlement that we have or, or that we've earned or just lucked into. Our ability to gain an audience with God is costly. Divine grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. He had to die in order to gain us access to the throne of heaven. So it should be important then that we spend time getting there. And not just too casually. We should never take that for granted. So we hope that you join us intentionally on Sundays. And we hope that you will learn from that posture of taking up that posture and that you will continue to do that when you're at home in your own quiet times during the day. That you spend some time getting your posture right. 
that you understand the importance of a thankful posture, and you continue that by spending time every day escaping the dangers of casual irreverence and by entering his gates with thanksgiving. And when you do, as the scripture says, that will create awe in your relationship with God. Number three, point number three for today. We progress upward in worship with praise. Not just with thanksgiving, but with praise. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So abbreviated, enter his courts with praise and praise his name. As we worship God, there is a natural progression upward. That's what I've been trying to get to. There's a natural progression upward from the gates into the courts. That was the Old Testament progression. And I find it interesting that in the temple, the first gate after the court of the Gentiles is a gate called beautiful. A worshiper ascending the steps toward the gate would certainly be reminded of the beauty of the Lord. Because apparently, according to archaeologists, there was a ceiling, a domed ceiling, that was beautifully carved out. So as the worshipers would enter, they would look up and they would see that beautiful, ornate thing drawing their attention heavenward. Archaeologists have found pieces of that dome in the ruins even today. Then once they've moved through that gate called Beautiful, they would progress through the court of the women. And you'd, get, you'd come to the Nicanor Gate which stood in front of the temple proper. In front of the gate, there's these 15 semicircular steps on which the Levites would stand in the morning and they would sing their songs, their psalms of ascent. That's from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. However long it took to sing through that, I don't know. But listen to the final psalm of ascent. Psalm 134. It's very short, just three verses. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Pray, or lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. So the Nicanor Gate and the Psalms of Ascent are designed to invite God's people to exalt and praise their God with voice and with body. Enter his courts with praise. Praise his name. It's not only important that the progression upward in worship happens with thanksgiving so that we don't take God for granted. It's also important that we do it verbally and bodily and we engage all of our senses in the praise of the Lord in his sanctuary. And we are his sanctuary. From the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we engage our minds, our hearts, and our bodies in worship. Revelation 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then, after that profession of faith, comes our baptisms. Baptism is both a physical and a communal expression of our worship of God. It is the initiation of a physical body, a human being, in a shared confession of faith in the body of Christ, which is the church. Baptism signifies what is necessary to follow Jesus daily. As Romans 6 describes it, it is is meant to be an offering of our bodies as a spiritual act of worship every day. Friends, if you believe Jesus 
and you are not baptized, you need to call me this next week, talk to me after the service, and we need to get you baptized. Because if you are not, and you're a believer, you are withholding worship from the one who is worthy of it. Call me. Get baptized immediately. Getting back to Psalm 100, as they were preparing to leave their enemy and their exile behind and return to their homeland, the Jews in the time of Psalm 100 were excited about being able to ascend Mount Zion and come into God's holy temple again, finally, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In a real way, as you ascend the mount of God in worship, the praises of God become spiritual warfare for God's people. Think about it. Where did Satan take Jesus to tempt him? And what was Jesus' response? Matthew 4, verses 8 to 9. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan will try to take you, probably daily, probably many times a day. He will try to take you to one of his mountain high places to distract you, to distract you away from the Lord's mountain and to tempt you. And to show you what is possible if you leave the God you say you love for him. But praising the name of God for you, like for Jesus, is your declaration of who is Lord of your life. Who you worship. Praise says to the spiritual forces of evil, the principalities and powers that, that want to keep you in captivity, that want to keep you in bondage, that the, the praise of God from your lips and from your heart and from your body tells those spiritual forces of evil who God is in your life and to leave you alone. So come to God in worship daily on Sunday morning, prepared to tell the devil his due. Hold nothing back. Body, soul, and spirit. And come often into his courts with praise. And leave the enemy and your captivity behind. That's why I think that, that quiet prayer meeting that's happening on the Temple Mount is sort of that revolution that's happening under the covers is taking place for them. How do you know What to say then in thanksgiving and praise in order to enter into worship, in order to enter his gates with praise, his courts with thanksgiving. And how do you do that? You know, I do a thing with pre-marriage, in my pre-marriage counseling. And I give each part of the couple, each couple, each person in the couple, a page that says at the top, 50 I love yous. 50 ways I love you. And I say, I want this to be your homework. When you go away this week, separately, come up with 50 reasons why you love your partner. Some of them are quite challenged by that. Some of them have never even thought of saying five words of how I love you to their partner. But you know what? I bet you you could come up with 50 reasons why you love God without even looking at your Bibles. 
If you put together a list of 50 praises and 50 thanksgivings, you will never, ever be without words to approach the Lord with. Guaranteed. You just really haven't given it much thought recently. But put together, so I give you a challenge. I challenge you to write out this week 50 praises and 50 thanksgivings. And then spend time each day entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And watch it revolutionize your time with God. Watch it revolutionize your worship. Like the reporter said to that, of that secret prayer meeting group at the top of, Mount, of the Temple Mount, perhaps this could be the beginning of something great for you personally and for Lawson. A revolution unfolded gradually, quietly, under the radar. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of all our prayer and praise and our thanksgivings. You are the king who is mighty and who loves justice. You are the one who is great in Zion, and you are exalted over all the nations. Lord, we praise your name because your name itself is awesome and holy. The sea and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, the rivers clap their hands, the mountains sing together for joy. And let them sing, Lord, and we together as a people will join them in the chorus of heaven and give our praises to the one who is worthy. You are the judge of all the earth, and in righteousness you judge the peoples with equity. Lord, you are worthy of our song. You're worthy of new songs being created and our imaginations being stirred by all the marvelous things you have done in the past and present. Your right hand and your holy arm have worked so hard for our salvation. Lord, in your name alone is salvation. You have remembered your love and your faithfulness to Israel all the way to the ends of the earth. Lord, your salvation is seen. And today, Lord, in this place, we, your people, individuals and together collectively, we give thanks for all that you have done and we praise your holy name. You're worthy. You're worthy.